Welcome to another in our increasingly infrequent, it seems, um, Viriel USA podcasts. But now that we're playing more matches, I think we're, we'll be back in the groove. We actually had so many matches fast and furious over the last two weeks that it was difficult to get everybody together. So I'm here with, um, let's see, who have I got? I've got Robin, I've got Zach, and I've got Raul. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello. And we're all um we're all uh basking in the Valencia loss today ahead of their big match against us um this next next weekend. So um so I I tried to knowing that we would have a number of us on here, I tried to sort of come up with some minor organization that we probably will end up throwing out before long. But um, I thought I would start with um, the observation that 10 points out of 12, I think if you'd asked any of us um, before we started how many points we get from these first four matches, I don't think we would have said 10. I think we would have figured more like eight maybe. So 10 from 12 is pretty good, but on the other hand, if you actually watched some of those matches, um, they weren't exactly the most impressive victories. So how do we, how do we feel about our form right now? I mean, obviously we feel good about where we are in the table, but how do we feel about our form? Who wants to start with that one? I can get it started. Um, I think. Uh, when the first half of football we played from the break against Celta, I was like, holy cow, we're a whole new team. Things look fantastic. And uh, then, I don't know, I, as tough as our schedule is going to be the rest of the year, and I'm sure we'll get to this more later on, but as difficult as our schedule is going to be the rest of the year, we have to play better than we've played most of the time from the break if we're going to have any shot at staying where we are in the table. So I'm thrilled with the points, uh, but but the performances and especially uh, creating chances has got to be better than it's been the last couple of weeks. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm kind of – so I'm, again, being overly positive, as usual, um, <laughs> but I'm just kind of – I've just – for the, the last few years when we've just – We've always been one of those frustrating teams that does great against the big sides. We take on Madrid, we take every fight to them. And then against these smaller sides, we've all always struggled, especially against Celta. So for me, I'm kind of in a weird way, yeah, it hasn't been exciting football, but sometimes you you just have to churn out those little victories. And I'm quite glad that we were kind of very reserved on the energy levels when we came out with the game, because I suppose we have got a cluster of really big games. So... Having 1-0 victories for the first three games, I think, is a pretty impressive achievement. Um, not only with the circumstances, but then I'm also, I'm pretty happy with that. And also, I just kind of, if I link it to a World Cup, so imagine a World Cup. In the first few games, you're always like this. You're sort of working your way in. You're doing these little victories and stuff. And then the really exciting games hit the end of the end of the tournament. So if we're reserving our strength for the for the final few games, and I think we've done a pretty good job on that front. Um, I would like to see a bit more sexy football, to be honest with you, but um, I'm kind of content with the points we have, uh, even with the Sevilla game as well. Um, that's, that's my take on it. Okay, Raul? Well, I was mm, a bit nervous about this restarting because you need a lot of time to prepare them physically. But I was surprised how we started to win, which motivated the team. And I feel right now Villarreal is in a really good place. There's a lot of work to do, especially, I think, in defense, because the way Calleja likes to do the defense, it's not working right now. They have, mm -hmm. well, for a lot of time, they have been having a problem there. Um, Villarreal is now kind of more like a defensive team than offensive. They need a good defense to project the attack. Right. 
And one of the things that's happened is, um, and I think Zach alluded to it, talking about creating chances, is that if in the Sevilla match, I think we had, I think we were outshot 14 to 7. We had, I think we had seven shots of which maybe five were on goal or something. So it's not as if we seem to continually be searching for this balance between offense and defense. And lately, since the restart, it feels as though defensively we've been stronger, I guess, with three shutouts. You'd, you'd think that. But we still seem to be having problems creating enough chances to really, really good chances to score, don't we? Yeah, yeah, and uh, I don't even, and I, I joked with you before we started, but I guess I really am going to bring up some of these stats before we get that far on the uh, agenda. But uh, I, I'm not entirely sure. I, I know we've had three clean sheets, but I'm not entirely like. I'm not entirely sure that the defense was actually that great in any like the, the defense was fantastic in the Celtic game. Don't get me wrong. Well, we only yeah. gave up a 0.1 expected goals. That's excellent. You don't really do any better than that. Excellent defense. We probably deserve to have another goal. Excellent performance. Uh, we gave up one and a half expected goals to Mallorca, and and Mallorca is terrible. I mean, they're they're probably the least talented side in the entire division. Um, so. I, you know, just because, and we gave up um, more than one expected goal to Granada, uh, and, and and really only had half an expected goal for ourselves in that match. So, yeah, we had three clean sheets, but I don't think keeping the ball out of the net is necessarily identical to playing good defense. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think though it's is it possible that it's actually rather than defense itself. And do you think it's more down to Asenko being just an absolute phenomenal, amazing keeper? I mean, the defense could be described, I suppose, as mediocre in a sense. I mean, Raul Albiol, to be fair, out of all the defenders, has been our best defender by far. Even Paul Torres hasn't even matched up close to Albiol, in my opinion. But I think it's also down to Asenko. And I am absolutely petrified that after some of his performances now, players, people are going to try and get him off us because I just think he's been absolutely amazing. But do you think he's more responsible for the amazing defensive record than the defence itself? Well, um, sir, he's I, had I, great saves, yeah. Yeah, I would say, in, in, in especially uh, the Mallorca game and the Sevilla game, there, I, there were specific things where he stepped in and saved the results, so I'd agree with that. Yeah. What about you, Alan? What, what do you think on that? Well, I think he, I mean, I agree. I think Celta was a, was a, um, that was a performance where that was a, a good defensive performance. We really marked them out of the match pretty much and they didn't really trouble us. Um, I think the, I think the other matches, yeah, I, I feel as though Asenjo has been called on to make, um, some pretty amazing saves to keep us in it. I mean, I, and I think when you look at the, I mean, when you look at the expected goal thing, I guess you kind of see that, that, that we, in those first three wins, I think the only match we should have won on expected goals was Celta. The other two should have been draws, or in Mallorca's case. I think Mallorca should have been a draw too, because I think, I think actually a lot of that expected goal came on that one stretch near the end where I still haven't figured out how they didn't score. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think he's, I think he's been called on to make big saves and for the most part he's done it. Um, you know, I, I think, I guess in the Sevilla match there was some discussion of how responsible was he for, for their goals. But, you know, I think he's, he came up with so many big saves in that match. I don't think you can really fault him for the Escudero one or something. So I think he's been a real key. Yeah. What about you, Raul? Do you think he's he's the best uh, Spanish keeper there is at the moment? That's a long shot, but I I think he's got a good good uh, link to it to me myself. Mm, yes, I think he's right now one of the best you can find in Spain. Which I think I don't know why they don't call him more for the first team because, for example, De Gea. I don't like it. He's like, he's not right now at a good place. So, 
I don't know why they give that chance. At the same time, you have people like Asenjo, which is doing, who is doing a great job, but just because he's from Villarreal, nobody wants to hear him about him. So I don't know. I feel like because where he plays, people don't consider him to be more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I could agree with that. I'd, I'd say, I mean, I suppose Kepa plays for, for Chelsea and you've got, um, yeah, as you say, De Gea playing for Man United. So yeah, I, I can, I can see that, that being a, a good reason. It's, I think national teams are slowly more branching out to their looking at the other side slowly. I mean, definitely in England, we have Gareth Southgate getting players from all over the league, which is, which is great to see. But yeah, I suppose, in Spain, it's the, it's the same, really. It's still the sort of top side. You have to play for the top side to be in the national squad. Um, but, yeah, also just on the subject of defending, and this is going to be probably the most controversial thing I say, so prefer it. But do we think that we really, if Shackler has another great performance like that and slowly improves, do we need to find actually buy another centre-back? Or do we think he's possibly a future kind of sub in the place of Albiol and Paul Torres if he's needed. Mm. Silence. <laughs> okay, that's going to be that is going to be controversial. I mean, I I think I think you I think you still want to I think you still want to center back and the reason I say that is because nothing against Chakla, I think he did he did um uh I just think that with Albi, given Albiol's age for one thing um, I, I want, yeah, I'd like to go out and sign somebody else that I, I don't mind having Chakla as like a number four center back. I'm not sure I want him as number three or even number two if Paul Torres gets taken off us or something. So yeah, I, I still want a center back, but then yeah, I want a center back. We're, we're talking about a 26 year old that's never been called up to the Moroccan national team. I mean, there's a reason why he's 26 years old and his career move was going to our second team in the third Spanish tier. I mean, there, the performances would have to just be above and beyond the call of duty the rest of the way for me to even think about wanting him as a first team fixture next year, much less holding off on buying another center back when Alvio is as old as he is and we have the constant threat that somebody can come in and swoop in from Pal Torres. I think that the reason I slightly bring it up is just in the sense that Albio has been having such an amazing game and we debated this before that in terms of fitness for a centre back you can still play a bit longer. It's like a goalkeeper, you can play a bit longer as long as you kind of your mind's still in it. In a sense. Mm-hmm. So I'm just thinking that if we get another two years out of Albiol, and because this Paul Torres and Albiol thing, I mean, to be honest, in that game that Chaco played, Albiol was just a kind of massive influence on him, and I think that was kind of what we were missing before when Chaco played in that other game because we didn't have Albiol at the time. So mm-hmm. I, I think, um, so I'm thinking that like if Albiol and Paul Torres are going to be fit, and this is going to be a regular partnership for maybe another year or so, then maybe we might can hold off by a centre back. In my opinion, Chaco actually played better than anything I've ever seen Funes Morris play. So that's why I would possibly put him as third and Funes Morris as fourth. And that's a big shout because obviously we spent a lot of money on Funes Morris, but I've just been frankly quite disappointed by Funes Morris. I know he's injured and stuff, but at the same time, I just, I've never really felt that much confident with him. And I think a lot of fans can agree on that. Uh, Raul, how, how do you feel about that? Do you think we need another centre back or? Mm, I think, yes. I don't know if of Primera you had the first match he played which was horrible but the second one he was actually actually good so it's right now at that moment that you don't know if he could keep that performance for the long time and be a good centre back for Primera even if he's more like a soup rather than a starter or Maybe you should look for someone who can give you that edge 
for achieving European sports? Yeah, I just I I feel like Chocolate could be a he could be a decent squad player with the right. I mean, Zach is right. The fact that he's 26 and never been called up to the Moroccan national team and never made it past the Segunda B before tells you that he hasn't really overly impressed anybody. There are always players who, you know, are given a chance and take it, particularly with some good coaching and whatnot. And as, as um, you know, working with somebody like Albiol, but I don't think I want to see him as a, as an uh, uh, as a main part of the team, I think I, I think I still would want a third center back that I have more with more experience because I that would make me feel better anyway. But you know he, he did do a good job in the in the match he played. Um, at some point we'll need to see him again because Albiol has been on what four yellows or whatever it is for a while now, so. Um, at some point, he's going to have to come in and deputize for Albiol, I would think. Or um, yeah, I just think it's going to cause a headache later on down the line because trying to sign a centre back was actually going to replace Albiol, really. I mean, I can't see Albiol actually being a sub player just yet. You know, there still seems like a good, you know, a good at least a good year of another player in it. So it would be hard to sign a centre-back that isn't going to be starting all the time and actually put Albiol on the bench, so it just sounds like a bit of a headache. But I suppose, anyway, it's just a long-run thing. There's also Mario uh, Gaspar to consider as centre-back as well, which I don't think is going to happen. Um, but obviously, I'm digressing away from our from your agenda, so well, I'm happy to well, move yes, to another but point that, but, if you like. Yeah, but, that, but that's all right. Well, let's, well, let's, sort, of, let's sort of slide into the next thing, which is, um, what's working and what isn't and what needs to change. And I think we kind of alluded to that a little bit with, um, with, you know, needing to get more chances. But, you know, the fact that we have 10 points from our first four matches and that's, I think, only the top two or three teams equal that. Again, on the surface, we're doing pretty well. So is you know, is Kaya adapting pretty well to this new format? Does this, does five subs help us compared to some other teams? Maybe? I, I don't know. What, what, what do you guys think? Is this kind of giving us some sort of advantage here? Well, the, the last time, the last time I, you know, we did a pod, Alan, um, we kind of compared our squad depth to like Sevilla's and Valencia's and like the argument was that we had one of the, deeper squads in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, and I think Clay has done a really good job of using that depth in game. Like we know that Santi isn't going to go for an hour uh, or for much more than an hour. So, you know, he's getting him minutes where he can. And I think he's using his depth really well and it's paid off. Um, I think if he's going to stick with this four, four, two that he seems to like now, um, we, we really need to swap out Gaspar for Pena, uh, on, on the right, uh, mm-hmm. at the right next spot. That way, um, that way Chiquese has somebody to play with. Um, and honestly, and this will probably be far more controversial, um, but I absolutely hate Santi Gazorla playing out as a wide left midfielder. Uh, so if we're going to play, uh, 4-4-2, uh, start Santi on the bench. Put Moy out on the left to start the game and bring Santi in at the hour mark so that he, so that with fresh legs, he can terrorize people for the last half hour of the game. Wow. Yeah, I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd agree on that. I think, I think that's a, that's a really good shout to be honest with you. Um, in terms of sort of, I think if we are going to stick with a 4-4-2, a Chiquese needs to work on his defending because it's just, I mean, even if he got quality right back, uh, quality right back behind him, his defensive work is absolutely appalling. And uh, like it's like I, I don't know. It's almost like with Samu, it's like I think it'd be worth converting him into a striker somehow. We could learn his trade as a striker because he's like I see I see his attacking threat. He's absolutely brilliant on the wing, but I think on the wing he's actually. In 4-4-2 on the wing, it's actually wasted on him, really. In 4-3-3, he's really attacking, he's really good, and you can see the kind of Iron Robin influence in there. I mean, Iron Robin was appalling at defending as well, that's why they had to change to 4-3-3 by Munich. Um, mm-hmm. so, but yeah, I agree. I think, I mean, I, I like 
if if we could roll back the clock, say maybe five years or so with with um, Santi, I think he would be okay on that left wing there when he had a bit more pace. I think we talked about this before. When he right. had a bit more pace, and when in, in previous years we used to play him four four two, were kind of on that. If you look at the old formations, he was playing not on the wing so much, but kind of like a. If you look at Atletico Madrid, they do this really really well. So they don't actually use their wingers at all. That those two wide players are basically going as central as possible, rather than sort of relying on the crossing. And I, I think we are we are wasted on the crossing front, unless, like Zach said, unless we have Moy on that on that left hand side, because he is probably one of the best wingers that we have. Even if you look at Ontiveros, still not really a crossing a threat sort of thing. Um, so I, I think Moy, I completely agree with that. I think Moy is the best bet for four four two to start with on the left there. Yeah, I would. I would think that's. I would agree with that. Role. What do you? What do you think? Well, uh, I want to first point one important thing is that Samu is a winger, not a side midfielder. You know the difference, right? A winger yeah. is a forward who plays who plays on the side. Samu has been more trained like that. When you do the Calleja a 4-4-2 and you put him as a side midfielder, what you are looking more, and I want to make this important, is to convert that 4-4-2 in a 4-3-3 in attack. Right now, uh, professional football likes to do that a lot. It's not about the numbers. It's about the movements of the team. That's the important stuff. You do a 4-4-2. When you attack, you can transform it towards a 4-3-3. And when you are defending, you could even do another formation from that. So well, I, I would I would point out though that the reason why I suggested Pena instead of Gaspar at the right back, if we're going to have Chiquese as that right midfielder role, um, is exactly because of what Raúl just said. It, it's because Chiquese is a winger. Um, give him a right back that's better going forward. That way, if we're not going to have a great defender in that right midfield spot at least we have their left flank pinned back back enough that they can't really threaten us. Um, so you get the more attacking Pena there, let him play off Chiquese, and then the other team's left backs and left wingers won't be able to get forward as much, and we sort of, on that flank anyway, defend by attacking. Um, and, 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 then, and then just kind of make sure our defensive rotations behind them are, are, are cleaning up. Yeah, right. my... my... My ish, like, so for me, I'm probably more, very much more traditional 4-4-2 in the sense that I think the left back and right back should be sticking back. So, I mean, I agree with that and that's probably how it's going to work. But then also, I think in terms of right back, I think the right back should be staying at the back and not going forward in a 4-4-2 formation anyway. In 4-3-3, yes, definitely wing backs attacking, going down the wings and stuff. But right back, I think should be actually being a right back and not, not going forward, but that's just that's just my general opinion of it, really. That's, that, that's very typically that if, British of you, there, Robin. Yeah, <laughs> very true. Um, being too modest, but I suppose the problem is that if 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 the right back is attacking, you there's no way that we can rely on Samu to like drop back into right back if he's caught out of position because Samu will be absolutely rinsed on that right as a right back. Yeah, well, that's you know, not that's... what you do though. You, you you count on you count on Zambo, who's the most mobile midfielder we have, and he plays there at that right center mid position. You count on him to track back and and and, and do some of the recovery work there. And and it's not the most defensively safe way to do it, but in a in a strength run of game from where we're having trouble creating chances, I think it would create more chances and also apply pressure in such a way that doesn't cause an absolute disaster defensively. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that as well. The, the slight mm-hmm. issue there again is, and it goes back to this whole debate, Samu isn't defensive-minded enough to be in that role. That's the problem. He's, he's very much, he's a good defender and that sort of growing into that role a bit more. 
But in his head, he's in a, he's a bit more of attacking midfielder, so he hasn't quite grown to like that. Ibora is a bit more defensive minded in that sense, but the problem with Ibora, he hasn't got the pace to kind of get back there in that situation. I think that's been one of our weaknesses over the year that we haven't been able to utilize that 4-4-2 because we're slightly missing that defensive midfielder role. This is just based on general theory, in my, my opinion, rather than kind of based on any results or stats. But I think that's where our weakness has been. I think that's kind of what happened in the, in the Sevilla game as well. I mean, I'm not going to go into the massive debate that we all had about that. But I think that's kind of the reason that that actually happened was because Sambo, Zambo and Samu weren't being able to do that efficiently as they should have done. Um, but yeah, feel free to call me out on that because I don't know how accurate that's going to actually sound. It sounded good in my head anyway. <laughs> I, I think you make a good point. I think the, I think the, the problem that I always find with, um, with the Mario, um, and, and Samu, um, combination on, on our, our right side is that I don't feel that if, you know, if we, if we lose the ball there, I mean, Samu is, is, has got to get back into position and he's, and he's not a, and Mario is the kind of defender who seems more comfortable retreating to then try to defend from around the penalty box. We don't have anybody who is willing to take on the, the player further up the pitch and win the ball back. And we're, and this was Zach, you were mentioning some of this on your article, um, where you were looking at stats about midfielders and that's the one thing that that I think all of the, all of what we're saying it, it comes back to this issue of you know the Bruno Rodri type who can really win the ball far up the pitch and stop stop those counterattacks from even beginning we don't have that kind of player right now and that's and and that's particularly important when you've got somebody like Samu who is very attacking minded and so is going to end up if you know if the ball gets turned over he's going to he's not going to be in a good defensive position just almost by definition i mean i suppose an example of that was in in we was in the goal on Sevilla. i mean you saw how high up the field zamba was like he had a shot and goal you, you would never have ever seen bruno that far up in the in the box right. Um, right, and I'm not expecting Bruno to be able to do that anymore as well. I mean, it's great to see him back, and I think you know that we should definitely acknowledge that in this podcast. Yeah, I'm not expecting him to be able to even do that role anymore either. Um, yeah. yeah, so it's going to yeah. be interesting. Yeah, it's interesting because it's it's as as um, as Raúl said, modern football. You know, it's it's you can say you're playing four three three four four two, but it's really much the players are in general much more mobile. Um, than in than in the you know historical um, references to those to those things, but one thing that we we miss is we don't have Ibora is as you say that does not have the speed to really track back. We we sort of he's more of a of a less movable post I would guess I would say than than what we would ideally want there and Zombo while he's while he's a great at carrying the ball up and down the pitch um is not really that defensive minded always either so yeah it's an interesting thing um I guess the we seem to be so far, Calleja seems to be doing a good job at the thing that we thought he was generally pretty good at before the break, which is he's pretty good at reading the game in the game. And I think the five substitutions maybe helps not just because our squad is fairly deep, but I think he's I think he's generally done a pretty good job with his substitutions. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I think he has. Um, I, I think a lot of times he's. And the the thing about substitutions with the games coming as fast as they are, it's not just about the subs you're making to affect the game you're in, but it's also, okay, big picture, how many minutes has this guy played over the last three matches that we've played in the last six days? And I think he's done a good job of making sure, with a couple of exceptions, good job of making sure that we don't have guys who are absolutely exhausted out there because they've played 180 minutes in three days and they just don't have it anymore. Um, and I think he's managed the squad really well in that sense. 
I think especially given that, you know, on the one hand, we talk about the squad having a lot of depth, but obviously at, at center back, we're very thin. So <laughs> it's it, it, between suspensions and injuries, you're, you know, it's, it's a, it's a tough management situation. I was going to say that it's, it's almost quite handy that some of them get, keep getting suspended. Um, because they certainly get a break off the games, you know, like, it's going to be interesting uh, in our next few games to see how that, that's going to affect, um, Spengers. But then I also, I suppose it's a, it's a tribute to the squad and the depth that we have that, you know, we have certain key players out through whatever suspensions or injury and we still step in and we still, we still, you know, there's not a massive drop in the way that we played and style. So, um, uh, yeah, I also agree. I think Kayak has kind of, kind of nailed it. I like what he's been doing with the attack. In the sense that all 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 the strikers are getting key games and proving themselves, you know, I think all the strikers in in these last three games have scored. Um, so that's I suppose that's a tribute to. So I mean, I, w- I wish Fernandinho would get a game because I love I, I really enjoyed seeing him play on the pitch and when he first came on, scored you know those two goals and his debut and stuff. Mm-hmm. It'd be great to see him get a game. It really would um, if we can squeeze him in. Right. Well, what what is it like now? Where I mean, on the one hand. We're doing well, but it's you don't have the game experience. I mean, is it are people sort of getting used to the games without fans, or how is that working? Well, you know, it's it's kind of embarrassing uh, hearing all that fake noise when yes. you see a match. <laughs> Let's say we are not a fan of that. Yeah, the fake noise is is a bit is a bit bizarre. Yeah, it's, I love it when I love it when the players go off and celebrate and they all look around as, as if expecting the crowd to cheer and then they just suddenly <laughs> realize what happened and they all just look like, well, what do I do? Do I actually celebrate or not? Because there's no one to actually appreciate it. And then they all yeah. just do this weird handshake with their elbow. So it's quite funny, really. Fans are very important for this this sport because. You can motivate a lot the players with that and they also love to get that love. So now it's, it's kind of weird. Yeah. I'm honest. Seeing all that, especially as some fields are doing that of the uh, cardboards <laughs> in the stands, which makes yes. a weird feel, a weird atmosphere. So, but in general, it's something that you were waiting for it to, you know, to restart. We <laughs> love football, so the possibility of finishing the league, seeing the matches, it's something that we were really happy about that. Um, yeah, it, it's, it is weird from, from here far away. Um, with the, it, it feels very surreal. I'm sure it does there as well. But it, yes, but at least you have there. You still have the sense of fans. You you know you're all part of the same fan base. You know you're all everybody's, you know, talking in town to the extent they see each other. I guess about how how things are going. So that's so that's pretty yeah. good. Yes, you go and talk about what's been happening. A lot, especially about the bar and Madrid matches, because that's <laughs> yes. very controversial right now. What's happening? Yes, uh, the thing that's happened is that with the restart, is we we have just as many VAR controversies as we did before. Yes, and also there's a bit that talk about when fans are going to come again to the to the fields to watch the football and it's something that even Tebas alluded about that maybe before the league has finished you may see some fans in the stands yeah well we'll have to we'll, we'll have to see I mean I, I think everybody wants to be very careful and not do things too quickly um, yeah right now it, yeah. uh, right now, the main problem with that is because uh, the health, uh, I, I don't know right now the words, you know, well, the ones that go, the part of the government 
that yes, works the, in the health. Yeah. Right, right. The health, the health ministry or whatever they are. Yeah. yeah. The health. The health. Let's say that. Well, they are worried about the cases of COVID could spike if you mm -hmm. let you let the funds go in. But at the same time, they are leaving all that to every region to decide what to do when. Right now, when you are gonna play the promotion for Segunda, mm -hmm. from Segunda to Segunda, Andalucía has said that fans will come to the stadium where they are gonna play. Oh, But, really? Because, uh, yes, yes. down there, right? They're playing in Malaga, I believe, against, uh, Marbella, Marbella. Yeah, somebody, I can't remember who they're playing, but, but I know it, the match is down in, in, a, in, in that yes. region. Okay. So, and hmm. they say that Andalusia will allow fans to come. At the same time, uh, the promotion for Tercera in the Valencian region, the community has said that no fan will be allowed to attend mm -hmm. the matches. So right. Right. it's more like that. We don't know what will happen from now. It's hard for me to, it's hard for me to think that, that, that the, in the Primera fans will be allowed to come back before the season is over just because there'll be all sorts of arguments about whether Madrid or Barcelona get an advantage. <laughs> it's like everything else in, in Spain. Um, everybody, everybody wants to, you know, argue about that. But let, let's talk a bit about the, um, so right now we are in the European places. We have 48 points. So, I want to know how many points people think we need to actually qualify for Europe and will we get them? So I'll start with Zach. Okay. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to just run us through real quick. The, uh, so the, the three teams that I consider still in the conversation for the European place that we want. Are mm -hmm. us, Valencia, and Sociedad. Um, so, uh, Sociedad has, um, or, or, as, sorry, as Raul told me the other day, we're supposed to call it, uh, Real, right? Uh, La Real. Um, we've got Hitafe, Espanol, Levante, Granada, us, Sevilla, and Atletico Madrid. Um, so you could probably see them getting, I could see them getting 10 points out of that. Easy. I mean, if we're just, Talking, you know, reasonably conservatively, I can see them getting 10 points out of that. Uh, Valencia has us, Athletic Club, Granada, Valladolid, Leganes, Espanol, and Sevilla. Um, again, I know they lost to Ibar today, but we know they're a pretty good side. I, I could easily see them getting 10 points out of it. So I, I think for us, we've got Uh, Valencia, Betis, Barcelona, Hitafe, uh, Real Sociedad, Real Madrid, and Ibar. And I think somewhere we've got to find a way to get 10 points out of that. Um, and I, it's a real tall ask. Uh, we, uh, we, it's something we're definitely capable of doing. Um, mm -hmm. but I don't think it's going to be something that you know, we're going to have wrapped up in the next, you know, three to four games or anything. I think it's going to take a come down to the last day, pushing it, that kind of thing. I think it's going to take at least 10 points. Okay. Robin, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to go exactly the same with Zach on that. Not not just for an easy answer, but I think he summed it up perfectly, really. Um, I, I, I just, I do think it's, I think we've definitely got past the, the barrier of kind of, You know, we're back in the football. That's, you know, we're all geared up to return back to football. But then I think in a horrible twist of fate, it, reality is going to hit us. And I think the severe game is going to have a slightly negative effect on us that we will start dropping points maybe in the next few games. So, um, mm -hmm. I'm kind of, yeah, I agree on the same sense as Zach on that one. Uh, what do you think, Alan? Well, I, I'm kind of, I originally I was thinking that What, what typically happens, so let me back up a second, because usually by this time of year, 
I've often, you know, we're often in this position and I'm often starting to play with the numbers and everything. And usually what happens is I'll come up with a number that I think, okay, yeah, you kind of need this to get into Europe. And then I'll sort of knock it down a couple of notches because that's what tends to happen over typically late in the season. Teams do drop points. So originally I was thinking uh, we would need around, this was before the restart, we would need around 60 points. Now you're saying 10 added to the 48, we got 58. I'd say that's probably about right. Maybe even 57 would get you into Europe. Um, I think you're, I think Robin's right that, you're, you know, the fact that we dropped two points to Sevilla. Probably about um. I'm not sure, and that's. It's it's really hard to know. It's a lot of it also is the fact that with this format, it's normally I could say, okay, you know that by the end of the year, you know this team is kind of just playing out the string or whatnot. But you don't know in this case how how these teams are going to react to the mid table teams that have nothing to play for. How are they going to going to react this year? So I don't know. I think I but I think we probably can get close to that and it could be that even 56 or 57 will be enough i don't know Raul, what, do you, what do you think Raul? yeah well you have done all an amazing job analyzing this so i will be a short replay around 60 points so we will need right now 12 more against who can be well i think against Getafe. We can get some points there. Barcelona could be another. They are not playing so well, so could be another one. Betis, Eibar, could be another couple points there. So, but I think the cutoff for Europe will be around uh, 58, 60, more or less around that. Yeah. Um, can I, I do want to point out. I do want to point out that if they end up playing the Copa del Rey final before European qualification next year, then the winner of that game gets a Europa League slot. Right. So if that's um, if that's La Real and they finish above us, then that's fine. Seventh place will be good enough to get it. If Athletic Club wins that game then we've got to be top six to get in. Um, and so then, you know, of that cluster of Hitafe, us, Marial, and Valencia, instead of, you know, three of those te- four teams getting in, only two of them do, and that makes it a whole lot harder. Mm-hmm. I think it's – I think you can certainly say – I mean, I, I know when I sent the emails to you you guys, I kind of divided it up this way. We've got three matches against direct rivals in Valencia, L'Oreal, and Hatafe. And so really, you know, you'd like to get at least seven points from those because every point – it's not just that you're winning – those matches or, or drawing, but you're taking points away from your rival. You know, when you're saying, well, they, I could easily see them getting 10 points. Well, not if they don't get those points. So I, would, I, I think those I are going to be. Like, I would like to add one thing. Here in Spain, we say that matches against your rivals are worth six points. The three you get for winning, the three they won't get. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So those the are real. I, oh, sorry, I was going to say the only thing I counter that with is that with the there's no longer the the home away sort of thing. I don't think that has so much influence in the games anymore. Just because I mean, even if playing a different stadium, uh, this is going to open a whole can of worms. I know, um, but <laughs> yeah. in terms of like that home away advantage thing is just not there anymore. I don't think. I mean, I, I to be honest, I've never really understood how much it really influences the game. Depends completely on the teams, but I think that that's going to have a bit of an impact on 
on the final game, so maybe that would have an impact on the points. Um, but yeah, I'll leave that to the the other side of things. Yeah, it, it, it's that's true. I mean, nobody really knows. I mean, there's there's not certainly you don't have the 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 home fans. On the other hand, the travel is different now too, and with the matches being closer together, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to really know how to how to assess that. But I think those those three matches against the direct rivals are going to be key because I think if we can get if we could get seven points out of nine, which is admittedly a big ask there, but if we could do that, then that means we probably only have to if we can defeat Betis or Abar, we can, we would have our ten points. So that's kind of it's I I think it as and as this happens is typically in Spain at this time of year, the teams that are battling it out do drop points. If it turns out that one of these teams, I mean, hopefully it would be us, but if it turns out that, you know, La Real suddenly turns around and and wins five matches in a row, I mean, that then you know you're going to qualify for Europe easily. So I think in some ways, just if we could get – if we could get uh, 10 points, I'd feel pretty good. If we could get 12, I'd feel great. I just think it's going to be, it's going to be uh, a tough, it's going to be a tough slog because we do have the two matches against the top two left and we don't have many matches against teams that aren't really playing for much of anything. I would like to add one thing. The game against Madrid will be uh, second to last from the oh. league. If they have won the league, it's possible that they do some rotations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because they've got that match with Manchester City coming up uh, like three weeks after the La Liga season ends. Um, so if they've already – if Barcelona's messed up bad enough at that point that they already have the title, we could see a bunch of teenagers when we go out there to face Real Madrid. Mm-hmm. And, and the other one that um, – our last match of the season is against Avar, and we don't know at this point whether they're going to be still fighting relegation or whether they'll keep this margin they've established today. And if it's, you know, how, how motivated will they be? I mean, these, and you look at all the matches ahead, that's kind of, that, that's kind of what you see. I mean, um, Granada still play have to play a couple of our direct rivals and and so you know they're going to be an important player in this um hard to know so let's finish up real quick and talk about Bruno a bit because I don't know I mean it's a great story that he's back on the pitch it's a real pity there weren't any fans other than cardboard ones there to greet him but uh you know what do we his contract is up at the end of this year. Do we think he's going to try to um, make a permanent comeback and sign another one-year deal or something? Or what What do we think is going to happen here? I, um, As of right now, I have zero expectations for Bruno. And I, I don't mean that in, like, a negative sense. I, I just – there, there's no, you know, if he only makes a couple of cameo appearances and doesn't really contribute a whole lot, like, I'm not going to be disappointed with him in any way, shape, or form because I'm just so happy for him that he was able to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, but going at, at his age, going that long without playing, um, I have very, very modest expectations for the, for his ability to have a, serious impact going forward and in any positive impact he does have uh, will be a pleasant surprise for me. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I agree on that. It's, it's becoming almost like the Marcus Senna sort of talisman thing. Um, when, when he was sort of slowly starting to retire, I know it's slightly <laughs> different circumstances, but then it, you know, he became kind of emblem of the cup. And I, to be honest, if he does sign on for another year and it's kind of more of a play as you play sort of contract and he's a lot more sort of involved in the team and comes on at like certain games or if, if he does bring back the form that he had or to a point, then I think that'd be great and it'd be great to see him back on the pitch again. It was absolutely amazing. You know, you could see, you see all the tears on the cardboard cutouts fans. They were absolutely <laughs> loving it and really enjoying it. Also, just sorry, before I forget, in terms of the fans as well, the cardboard fans will cheer on whoever scores. So, 
certain of atmosphere it's really really growing um but you know in terms yeah so it's sorry i digress as usual um but yeah no it's, it's great to see bruno back i i agree i don't know how far he's going to be part of the team but i hope really hope that if he does hang up his boots soon that we kind of get him on the coaching staff um getting more involved like obviously marcus Sen is more of an ambassador for the club at the moment but i'd like to see bruno in the kind of more of a you know coach role and really fitting him in there because that would be great to see right Roy, well what you're you know being being there in spain um must have been very emotional seeing him come on the pitch yes we we were kind of worried about him never being able to return to Primera. So finally seeing him return after three years was very special. And we hope that whether this is his last season or not, at least he has uh, a good feeling moment, like returning. It's mm-hmm. a pity. There were no fans there, but... Is if COVID didn't happen, he wouldn't have played this season. So there's yeah. a bit that. Yeah. Right, right. And yeah, yeah. What Do you think know? surprises and just next game, just start him, just like right in that role and he has like the best game ever? That that would be absolutely amazing to be fair. But I mean, I can't see it happening, but that would be brilliant if he just kind of came on and just... Like, oh yeah, three years, no pass another. Um, sorry, I came out in a slightly American accent there, but, um, yeah, it's, we're on a US blog, so I have to do it in an American accent. Um, but yeah, but it'd be great, it'd be great to see him if he, I don't know, maybe even just starts, you know, um, just to see how he does. I mean, give him a game, see how he goes, you know, maybe in that last game where if, you know, if, if there aren't any points really at stake for us, then it'd be great to see him get a good two games or something and just see how he is then. And then they can kind of judge to offer him a contract or not. Right. Yes, but maybe we have to also consider Bruno has an age and it's been a long time since he played. So maybe at the term, maybe it's not out of the question. He has done everything he had to do with Villarreal. He has managed to play for the national team. The only thing he lacks, maybe some trophies. Right. Yeah, unless you want to count a regional trophy. <laughs> right. What yeah. do you think, Alan? I, you know, I'm kind of, I'm a bit like Raul in a way. I kind of almost wonder if it, I mean, the being able to come back and get on the pitch and everything is great. I'm not sure that I see it as a springboard toward playing another season. I, I'm, I'm not sure about that. I, um, it's hard to know though. I mean, I don't, I think he's, I, I think a lot will, I think a lot will really depend on how he is during the remainder of this season too. I mean, you know, how much playing time does he get? How did, how quickly does he recover from that? Um, if he's feeling really good, then maybe um, I think the team probably would do some sort of contract like they did with Santi, sort of a pay-as-you-play deal. But I don't know. Bruno might be ready to just kind of retire um, or maybe make a token appearance next year in front of fans early on and retire, something like that. I, I just have that feeling that, that I don't I don't see it being like a Santi-type thing where he is going to – you know, immediately uh, start and take over and and play and everything. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. a bit of an age gap, I suppose, between him. I can't remember that. There's an age gap between Santi and him as well, isn't it? And there was also a different length of timeout. So, I mean, maybe that'll influence it as well. I can't see like the club hanging him out to dry, though, sort of thing. No, so I think no. I think offer him some kind of role, wouldn't they? Yeah, I think he'll, I think he'll get, I'm sure the club will be happy for him, you know, will let him do whatever he wants to do. Yeah, it's also, a, it's also a different sort of, um, role that he plays than Santi played on the pitch too. So it's, um, it's a position where I don't know, 
uh, how quick, how quickly you can recover after that many years out, how, you know, what sort of wear and tear in your body there is and everything. Um, you know, I, I think it's, I think the club will definitely let him decide what he wants to do. I don't think there's going to be any pressure on him whatsoever. Anything else, um, that we should cover before we wind up? We actually, I gonna, well, what I was going to ask was like, what do we think about Kayeka's situation? Do you think we'll, you know, even if we don't get a Europa League, do you think we'll actually just allow it, like, allow him another season? I mean, the poor bloke's not even had completed a whole season with us yet. So, um, it would be, I don't know, it'd be interesting. What, what, what would you look like? Would you like us to carry on with him for another year or? I mean, I suppose in terms of the whole situation, it'd be very difficult to sack him on the grounds of the results because it's not so bad, and obviously we've been influenced by the virus. So uh, I'd be interested to know what you what you lot thought about that. If we if we are not in Europe, I want him gone. I haven't shifted off of it at all. Before <laughs> before the virus hit, before the virus hit, he lost to Espanol. And his, his last three matches, he, he drew Valladolid in his last three matches were getting killed by Atletico, losing to Athletic Club, and then losing to Leganes, which I didn't even know was possible. So <laughs> if, if we don't make Europe, we can't blame the virus. We left plenty of points on the table before the virus hit. If he doesn't make Europe, I want him gone. Well, okay. that covered, that covered Zach's view. Um, <laughs> but, no I mean, uh, you know, I, I think he's really, I guess the way I've viewed it is I think the fact that we're, that we're where we are is great. I still think he's coaching for his job longer term because if we, if we make Europe, I think, if we make Europe, I think it's going to be, I think he's going to be around for another year anyway. Um, I think it would be difficult to fire him in those circumstances if we make Europe. If we don't, then I philosophically might, might agree with Zach that I think that given our roster and, and talent that, you know, he's not that he, that a better coach would have gotten us to Europe. Um, I'm uncertain in the circumstances if the board would make that decision though. Just do you think that, um, I got lost my train of thought, was on, um, do you, do you think though, like with, with the virus situation, do you think it would be easier to get a manager of more pedigree than, like say, Mano Pellegrini or whoever, because of, you know, obviously there's going to be a massive impact on football in general and clubs' finances and stuff. So do you think it would be more, um, plausible to get someone that we might, uh, recognize or who has a bit more experience than Kayeka? I'm going to say no because my experience has been that with, with Virial looking at their finances and, and how they run things is if Senior Raj is concerned about the finances of La Liga going forward over the next couple of years and is concerned about Virial's finances, he's, he's not the kind of guy who says, well, you know, but if I make it into Europe, I get X amount of money, so therefore I'm going to gamble on this coach. I think I think he's more likely to pull back, and I, I don't I don't see it. I don't see him making a big push for a for a Pellegrini or, or or a you know somebody with that sort of sort of pedigree. If if that's what it if if we're looking at a coach coaching vacancy, uh, you know he might prove me wrong, but I'm not. Expecting it, Raúl. What do you what do you think on that? I think that Roch is doing very well with finances. Villarreal has some money saved, which is very important. But at the same time, every year they are very close to lose some money. They end up winning a bit. This season, they were expected to have a net win of 1,000, uh, no, wait, wait a moment, yes, 1,000 euros. So, 
right now with all that has happened I imagine decision they will have a loss which makes more important than ever to achieve Europe so mm -hmm. next season you get more money you cannot be at least cover this loss mm. well, yeah senior Raj is is just not the kind of as I say it's not like the English championship right where everybody is spending money they ain't got so if they can get to the Premier League they get yeah. their, their, their pot of riches Senior Raj is not like that. He is he is going to be somebody who is going to budget very carefully. So if it turns out we don't get in Europe, and so our budget is constrained by that fact, I don't see him going out and spending a lot of money on a coach who you know has a big has a big name necessarily. I could see him. You know, I, I could see him going outside the organization for somebody, you know, like Pellegrini was when he came to us. I mean, somebody who has done well elsewhere, but, you know, hasn't done well in Europe. And so it's a bit of a, a bit of a chance maybe. And, and it's not as expensive. I just, you know, he's a very careful businessman. Yes. The most, uh, he has done especially when Villarreal was relegated that mm -hmm. he invested a lot in Villarreal just to get it back to Primera. That's the only moment you will see him spending big. Right, and and that was when he sold off some of his uh, shares in Mercadona. Yes, yes, and yeah. he used his personal fortune to help the team to achieve promotion, but when you are in Primera, he's more careful because his goal has always been to make Villarreal uh, the most important club you have in this province and one of the best in Spain. And for that, you need to be a constant in Primera. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he has... Just, you, 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 I'm sorry. Go on, Karen, sorry. Yeah, I was just going to add that he also had the luck that Castellón was down at that moment and Villarreal got the luck that Castellón rejected Roch. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, because Senior Roch wanted to buy uh, into Castellón. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he was right. involved a bit in Valencia mm -hmm. where, as, as you recall, his brother, his older brother was the president of mm -hmm. Valencia. And he wanted to invest on some club. I don't know if he was also part of Hercules at any moment when the Roch family was there. But he tried in Castellón before uh, arriving to Villarreal. Mm -hmm. And since then, well, you can see right. where is Villarreal now and what did Villarreal have before him. All right, Robin, you, were you going to say something there? Uh, I was, I can't remember. Oh no, yeah, I was just going to say you've got the Mecadonna song in my head now, you know, the Mecadonna, Mecadonna, <laughs> but that was absolutely nothing to do with it at all, but you just reminded me and made me feel slightly homesick for Valencia. Um, uh, but yeah. But yeah, I also, so, yeah, but Zach, Zach, you've gone quite quiet since your, uh, kayaker, um, opinion. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's your, uh, opinions? Based I, on that. Look, in modern football, big, ma big name managers require big budgets and we're just not going to spend like that. So I, I think that you could find someone that is a very good manager, that you could find someone that is a very experienced manager. But if you're looking for somebody that is, you know, graced some of the biggest clubs in Europe to come to Villarreal, I don't think we're going to spend, spend that kind of money in the transfer market. So I don't think we're going to end up with that coach. That's, that's a good point too. The other thing, and maybe let's wind up with this, but I should probably, one thing we didn't mention, um, but that this conversation brings to mind is that, you know, every year Virial always says that their first priority is to get the points to stay in Primera. 
you know, that's usually there's the, when we get to 42 points, there's a, you know, champagne celebration in the, in the uh, locker room after the game and whatnot. And we did actually pass the 42 point mark, I guess, against, with our victory against Mallorca. So I, I don't know. Elisa and I had a, had a glass of champagne. I don't know if the team did or not, but it, it, that is kind of the, the first goal, as Raul said, is to stay in the Primera. And so, I just don't see us going out and hiring a coach who's going to be, you know, really, really expensive. And as Zach said, those kind of coaches tend to be the ones who want their 50 million euro transfer budgets and stuff. And we just aren't going to do that. So I think, I think, um, you know, but I think it really is, I think Calleja is still sort of coaching for his uh, future next year. If we make it into Europe, I, I think he stays. If we don't, then I'm not sure. Mm. Yeah. Anything else before we wrap it up? No, I think. I mean, yeah. No, I think that's kind of that's quite a good detailed long long podcast that we didn't go over the top on the defensive side of things. So that's quite good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we've already exhausted that topic quite a bit now. So. Yeah. I just want to add one thing. Yes, Robin, I have you for mentioning Mercadona's song. It's a it's a joke here. Yes. Oh yeah, no. I mean, when when I used to party in Valencia, I used to go to the nightclubs and they used to put it on in the nightclub around one o'clock yeah. in the morning. It's People like, just uh, used to absolutely crazy. I don't know how <laughs> you call uh, memes or. Memes or something like that. Yeah. That mm-hmm. song is something like that here. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> yeah. A joke. Yeah. We <laughs> can't stop thinking, thinking yeah. about that right now. Zach, <laughs> if you aren't sure what we're talking about, you can go on the YouTube and search for the Mercadona song and it'll, it'll see. Fit. I don't know if I want to because I don't know <laughs> if I want whatever this is stuck in my head. Yeah. <laughs> If you remember, like, all the best dance songs ever, this is the most catchy. So if you ever like Avicii or anything like Bass Hunter or Scooter or anything like that, the 90s music, there is a 90s version of the Mechadonna song, and it's the most addictive thing. It's like the Crazy Frog ringtone, if you ever remember that. Um, so, yeah, it's worth a listen to. It's a highlight of my, where every time I go back to Valencia, it's, it's great. It's great. Okay. All right, so we've made we've made you homesick. We've made Zach wonder what the hell are we are we talking about? I think we've done a good job. So until whenever we have another one of these, um, which is probably going to be a week or two from now, this is Alan for Zach, Raul, Robin, and Devon Virial, everybody.